Welcome to the We Are Calvary podcast, where our mission is to share Jesus and help people experience life change. Thank you so much for listening. Here's this week's message. Well, good morning, church family. Why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet for the reading of the word. If you have your Bibles with you, why don't you open up to Matthew chapter 6. And now while you're turning there, let me just say welcome to all of you who are guests with us this weekend. We're honored to have you joining our family. My name is Daniel, one of the pastors on staff. And these are the moments in our services where we come around the scriptures. We believe here at Calvary that the Bible is the inspired word of God. We believe it is relevant for us today. And so we take these moments together each and every week to come around the scriptures, to learn more about who Jesus is and who God is and how are we called to respond to the saving message of grace and to learn to walk with the spirit of God each and every day. And so with your Bibles open to Matthew chapter six, we're gonna begin reading in verse 19. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be together. We thank you for the opportunity to come into your word and to have it speak to us today. And Father, we would just ask that even right now, you would limit the distractions in our heart and our mind, all the things that we're thinking about, all the things that we're planning for, all the emotions that we may be experiencing, we lay it all aside to receive fully what it is that you have prepared for us. And we are grateful for you today. And we love you. Speak clearly this morning. In your name we pray, amen. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Well, from the year 2000 to 2010, there aired a show on television called MTV Cribs. And I would imagine that those of you who remember this show are currently reminiscing on time spent maybe on your parents' couch with your best friends, watching one of the most over-the-top shows on TV. Now, for those of you who may be unfamiliar with the show that I am referencing, MTV Cribs was a 30-minute documentary-style show that at the beginning, a well-known celebrity would open up the doors to their house and they would say those famous lines, welcome to my crib. A camera crew would then follow them throughout their house. They would provide different close-ups and different angles so that we would all feel like we are actually in the house with them. And as you can imagine, the show was fueled by ego and materialism and incredible excess. The celebrities on the show, they had the biggest houses. They had the nicest pools. The, the views in their backyards were just incredible. They had countless luxury cars, secret rooms, private chefs, hired staff, closets filled to the brim with all the nicest brand name items. 
And the bathrooms were quite literally nearing the square footage of my current house. And there was always that moment as we watched the show where the celebrity would open up their fridge and allow us to see what was inside. And it was the only time where we would share a momentary uh, sense of solidarity with them. It's like, oh, look, like they drink juice too. That's really cool. I drink juice. You know, that's awesome. But the show was hedonism at its finest. And we loved it. Something in us was, was drawn to the luxury and to the excess. Now, in his book, Christian Counterculture, John Stott explains the draw in this way. Worldly ambition has a strong fascination for us. The spell of materialism is hard to break. See, there seems to be something within the human condition that is fascinated by money and possessions. And the fascination has led many, especially in our country, to the false belief that the life we are looking for will be found in the abundance of possessions. I mean, to prove this point, just simply look at our spending. According to the Wall Street Journal, Americans spend over a trillion dollars a year on non-essential items. Currently, Americans have a combined credit card balance of a whopping $1.079 trillion. And while I am sure there is a portion of that trillion that is rooted in materialism, that surely isn't the case for all of it. Today in the United States, the average lifestyle costs twice as much as it did in 1990. And that reality, on top of record interest rates, inflation, and countless other economic factors, credit cards are only likely to increase as people struggle to provide even the most basics of essentials for themselves and their families. According to the website The Ascent, data from the Federal Reserve collected in 2022 shows a drop in the percentage of Americans who could cover an unexpected bill of $400 and those who could cover three months of expenses. Additionally, 35% of Americans in 2022 said that they were doing worse off than a year ago, and that 35% is up from 20% the year before. So all the data leads to this reality. Many Americans are under financial stress. Now, with all that said, it is time to acknowledge something. Starting a message, reading a passage of scripture around the theme of money and possessions, I'm sure has made some a bit uncomfortable. I, I think about those of you who finally got enough nerve to invite your friend to church. You know the friend who always says, I'm not going to the church, all they ever want is your money. And you're like, no, 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 Calvary's different, I swear they won't do that. And then the one time you actually invited them, hi, here we are. Even for myself, I have family that surprised me today and they turned up for church. And even I am contemplating like, gosh, maybe we should just go to John 3.16. Like, let's do, <laughs> let's do something different. So to read from the scriptures about money and possessions and then to follow that with a critique on the lavish lifestyles of celebrities, a then statement about our increasing credit card debt, the reality of inflation and the financial stress that many of us find ourselves in, it's the perfect combination to invoke all sorts of emotions and questions. I mean, I know that right now some of you are thinking, 
please don't ask me to give more. I am barely making it as it is. And to those, I wanna invite you to take a deep breath. This message is not intended to shame anyone into giving more, nor does it end with a second offering. Now, others of you, you might be asking yourself nervously the question, is Daniel about to tell me that having wealth and nice things is inherently wrong? And to those, I also invite you to take a deep breath. In fact, let me encourage you for a moment from the wise words of Solomon from the book of Ecclesiastes. He says, this is what I have observed to be good. That is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toilsome labor under the sun during the few days of life that God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift of God. So it is perfectly appropriate to enjoy the wealth and the possessions that God has given us. But enjoyment is oftentimes different than the complex relationship that we have with our earthly possessions and the common but inappropriate expectations we place on our money and what we believe it will provide for us. See, if we are not careful, we will allow money and possessions to become something that they were never intended to be. And our fascination with can quickly become an idolizing of. We exchange enjoyment for enslavement, and we allow money to become, in the words of Tim Keller, a counterfeit God. From his book of the same title, he says, money is the one most common counterfeit God there is. When it takes hold of your heart, it blinds you to what is happening. It controls you through your anxieties and lust. It brings you to put it ahead of all other things. This is why the Bible talks a lot about money and possessions. Writing in Leadership Magazine, Howard L. Dayton shares that in the Bible, there are 500 verses on prayer, less than 500 on faith, and more than 2,000 on money and possessions. In the Gospels of the 288 verses, one out of every 10 deal directly with the subject of money. And of the 38 parables taught by Jesus, 16 were concerned with how to handle money and possessions. Now you might be thinking right now, 16 out of 38, that's quite a lot, Jesus. And the reality is it's true, it is. But let me make something very clear this morning. Jesus is not ultimately concerned about money and possessions. Jesus, he never owned a home he relied on others to support his ministry and he even entrusted the, min the money that did come into his ministry, he entrusted it to the one disciple who he knew was going to steal from it. See, Jesus' concern is not for money and possessions, Jesus' concern is for you. He is concerned for your heart. He is concerned for your flourishing. He's concerned for your future, and ultimately, he is concerned for the person that you are becoming. So today, no one should feel guilty about having or not having money. The aim today isn't even to tell you what you should or shouldn't do with your money. 
And it most certainly is not to spiritually manipulate you to give more. The invitation today is for us to all simply contemplate our relationship with money and our possessions and then to determine what level of priority they have in our lives and then to acknowledge if they have captured our hearts in a way that is limiting our ability to partner with God and to flourish in his kingdom. Now, this is no small task, but we'll begin by taking a closer look at the verses that we read from the very beginning, Matthew chapter 6, 19 and 20. And as we examine these two verses, I want you to have two questions in mind. First being this, what is Jesus saying? And then secondly, what is Jesus not saying? So let's begin by rereading the passage. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. So first, what is Jesus saying? In these two verses, Jesus invites his listeners to compare two types of treasure. Now, what are treasures? Treasures are simply the things that we desire to obtain because of their perceived or their assigned value, worth, or significance. And in Jesus' mind, there are two types. There is earthly treasure and there is heavenly treasure. Now, we should ask for his original audience, what would have been examples of their earthly treasure? Now, as we look at the text, it seems to be clothing and coin, which were the two main forms of wealth in the time. We get this from looking at translations like the ESV. It translates verse 19 in this way. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy. So Jesus' critique of these earthly treasures is quite simple. The problem is in their apparent weakness and volatility. Clothing can be destroyed by moths. Coins can rust, and thieves can steal both. Now, in our modern day, things are a little bit different. We have done our very best to mitigate such things. We don't really deal with rust and moth and, and thieves the same way because we've done things like created rust-proof paint or insecticides or security systems. But no matter how hard we try, we cannot mitigate everything. For even our best attempts will fall short because oftentimes things are just simply out of our control. Think about things like inflation or devaluation or a pandemic or a drop in the stock market or high interest rates. So based upon these two scriptures, here we see what we could call Jesus' thesis. That the gathering of money and material possessions is not great enough cause to structure your life around. I'm borrowing that thesis from a pastor named Chester McCauley who passed away a number of years ago, but I think it communicates it so clearly. Let me read it one more time. That the gathering of money and material possessions are not great enough cause to structure your life around. They're not worth the dedication of your life. Why? Because earthly treasure is corruptible and it can be stolen. Not only that, if we are not careful, it has the very capacity to corrupt our soul. 
Cue Jesus' words from Matthew 16, verse 26. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? I mean, how many stories do we know of individuals who they spent their whole life accumulating wealth, accumulating possessions, only to be left with a hollowed out soul and an undersatisfied heart? So if Jesus is right, and the endless gathering of earthly treasures is not a great enough cause to structure your life around, well then what is the better option? And in his own words, he said it to be this. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Now, scholars have gone back and forth trying to understand what exactly is Jesus saying in these two verses. What does he mean by treasures in heaven? And many have concluded that by saying treasures in heaven, here's what he means. It is to do anything on earth whose effects last for eternity. So for example, to store up treasures in heaven is to grow in Christ-like character. One commentator says it like this, character is the only garment that you can weave in this world and wear in the next. To store up treasures in heaven is to increase in generosity towards one another, to extend hospitality to our neighbors and learn to love our enemy. To store up treasures in heaven is to forgive and to extend grace to those who have hurt us. It is to grow in the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and even self-control. To store up treasures in heaven is to proclaim the good news of Jesus to those who are lost in order that they might experience the love of God through Christ and to receive the free gift of salvation and a brand new eternal reality. See, these types of treasures, they are worth our lives because, because they're incorruptible because that they will last into eternity. So again, what is Jesus saying in these two verses? He is saying that the gathering of money and material possessions is not great enough cause to structure your life around. That we should instead store up treasures that will last because they hold eternal value. So if that is what Jesus is saying, what is Jesus not saying? Now, we do not read in these two verses a, a ban on obtaining wealth and possessions. Some of you are saying amen. Uh, back to the statement that I made in the beginning. It is perfectly appropriate to enjoy the wealth and the possessions that God has given us. But what is not appropriate is to spend more time fantasizing about accumulating more wealth than pursuing growing in Christ-like character. What is not appropriate is to spend all of our energy and capacity to accumulate possessions, but then to never give thought to the poor and those in need among us. What is not appropriate is for money to capture our hearts and to command our mind. See, we human beings, we are designed to possess a single mind and an undivided heart. Humans are hand-wired to run on a singular operating system, that being the presence of God. 
So for us, the virus of a double mind and a divided heart will not lead to our flourishing. This is why Jesus warns in the verses following, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Other translations communicate that last line, you cannot love both God and money. And while Jesus warns us that we cannot love both God and money, this is not because money is evil. In fact, the Apostle Paul communicating to Timothy in one of his letters, he clarifies that. It's not money that is evil. It is the love of money that is the root of all evil. He goes on in that same section to say, for some eager for money, they have wandered from the faith and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. This is why elsewhere in scripture, we are told to keep ourselves free from the love of money. So the question that we have to begin to ask then is how do we navigate our relationship with money? How do we use it but not be controlled by it? How do we end up not loving it? Now, some of you might be thinking, well, it sounds like it might just be best for us to avoid it. And then your next thought would be, this is when he's gonna talk about, we're gonna do a, a compound together and we're gonna live out in the woods and we'll be off the grid and we'll, you know, we'll exchange soups instead of money and like it'll be, and th that sounds great, have fun, I'm not participating. But see, that's not the reality. Uh, the reality is we do have to learn how to navigate this. I mean, when I wanted to pay my mortgage earlier this month, what did I have to do? I had to use money. I could not send soup. I had to use money. I had to, <laughs> when I go into the grocery store this afternoon, they will not accept anything but money. And so I'm not able to, to avoid it. So what I'm gonna have to do is learn how to possess an ability to possess it, but not to become possessed by it to have it, but not to be consumed by it. So for this to be formed in us, an ability to navigate with health, our relationship with money, what I want to do with the remaining time is I wanna offer you one mindset and two practices. Now first, the mindset, and here it is. I must force my money to live within its means. I must force my money to live within its means. Now, do not confuse that statement with the one that we oftentimes hear, that we should live within our means. That is wise, that is a great principle, and many of us would do really well to abide by it. But I'm referring to something a little bit different. I'm talking about the reality that money in and of itself has its own means. See, money does have the means to provide. And I think there are three provisions that need boundaries and that we have to mark out for our money. So for example, our money can provide for our practical needs. Again, whether it's the mortgage or the car payment or the credit card balance or the whatever it is, money can help us provide for those basic needs. It also can help us provide for some of the, the personal wants that we have. Again, it's okay to want some things. 
mean, let's just be honest. We're about to enter into the Christmas season. It's like the season of want. I mean, I don't know if your kids are like mine, but mine are already beginning to articulate what is on their Christmas list, all the things that they want. And guess what? Dad has a list too. And I too would like to have a couple items under the tree on Christmas morning. Again, it's okay to have some things that you want and money can provide those things. So yes, there's a reality of the, it can provide practical needs, it can provide even some personal wants, but also it helps us to partner with God. I mean, let's just be honest. You can do some incredible things with your money when you partner with God. I think about the incredible nonprofits that are around that we can invest into. The reality is you can invest into the local church. When you do give generously to a church like Calvary, it helps us to further the mission that God has for us as a church. It's just the practical reality of it. And again, I think when money operates in its means, it can do those three things quite well. Now here's the problem. The problem is that money, if you allow it, it will operate outside these boundaries. And And it'll attempt to provide for you not just your practical needs or some of your personal wants or even partner with God. It will attempt to provide for you an identity. It will attempt to provide you security and meaning in your life and your sense of personal value. It will have you defining yourself by the things that you have or do not have. See, money, if you allow it, will make you prideful and full of greed and it will become what is ultimate to you. And when money becomes our ultimate, it also becomes a stronghold. But this shouldn't be. Because here's the reality. Money is a terrible stronghold. It is a terrible stronghold because it cannot solve our deeper issues. Sure, it may allow you to avoid some pain, through retail therapy, another vacation, another new car. But the reality is money is only a narcotic. It's not a solution. It will attempt to be that for you, but it just isn't. See, the solution for us who follow the way of Jesus is another type of stronghold, but it is a stronghold that is eternally worthy. Reading from Psalm 18.2, scriptures say the Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. See, we are invited to have a stronghold, but we must allow it to be the stronghold that is worthy to be such. So we must force our money to live within its means and allow the creator of the universe to provide for us an identity that cannot be shaken, security that cannot be taken, and meaning and value that is disconnected from what you own. That's the invitation. We need to hold on to that mindset. We need to make sure that those boundaries are are firm in our mental maps. Now that's the mindset. Force your money to operate within its means. Now here are the two practices. Number one is the practice of simplicity. 
If you look all throughout church history, you look at the desert fathers and mothers, you look all throughout the the different kind of heroes of the faith, even in our time, they oftentimes will discuss this spiritual discipline of simplicity. Now, something that we need to understand about spiritual disciplines, they are not a means, or let me say it this way, they are not the end result, they are a means to that end result. So when we practice simplicity, we're not doing so so that God will love us more. We're doing so so that God can use that opportunity to begin to reshape us from the inside out. I mean, how many of us, thinking about this idea of simplicity, how many of us got to the end of Christmas last year and we looked at our spouse or we looked at our friends and we said, I ain't doing this again. I'm not charging the credit card. I'm not doing all the parties. It was way too much. We were mad. We were stressed out. I was angry the whole time. I punched the Christmas tree a few moments ago. (laughs) How many of us had that experience last year? So what are we going to do differently? Someone raised their hand. I love the honesty. That was beautiful. (laughs) So what are we going to do to make sure that we do not just fall into the same trap as we did last year? Well, what if we practice simplicity? That might just simply mean, you know what? we're not going to do all of the things that maybe we have done in the past. You know, how many of us, we, have you had that experience on Christmas morning where you, you bought your kids so much stuff that by the end, they're like almost bored with opening. You're like, come on, open another one. And they're like, I don't want to. I just want to play with this one. No, we have more. That's got to stop. So what it, would it look like to begin to practice simplicity in our life, even this Christmas season? Maybe that would mean that we don't say yes to every single party invitation that we have. Because instead of just running and going and going, what if we practice simplicity by being home one evening with just our family sitting at the feet of Jesus, worshiping him? Now, not to say that you could not do that at a Christmas party, but at times, that's not the goal of such a moment. So what does that look like for you to maybe practice simplicity? Maybe it's just simply in a season of everybody taking in more, what have you just got rid of? I mean, how many of us in our houses, they're just full of stuff? Amen, Amen people say. <laughs> well, then get rid of it. <laughs> so there is the practice of simplicity. And then the last one would be this, the practice of generosity. Now again, Spiritual disciplines are not the end themselves. They are the means to the end. So when we are generous, not only are we giving away maybe money or maybe possessions to someone in need, we're also giving away money's grip on us. That's why, that's why God tells us to be generous. It's not just simply because he likes to tell us things that are going to make you miserable so that you can prove your love for him. That's not the heart posture. God says, listen, I made you, I designed you, I know what is best for you, so practice generosity because I know that money's gonna have a tendency to get a hold of you. It's gonna limit your freedom and your flourishing. So why don't you just let it go and watch what I will do in you and through you. So many of us, we hold on to our money because it is a stronghold. It's giving us a sense of security. It is protecting us. And some of us need to cut that relationship off and say, you know what? No, I'm gonna allow God to be my protector. I'm gonna let God be my provider. I'm gonna allow God, I'm gonna practice what he says in the word and I'm just gonna trust the outcome will be what is best for me. 
See, the life we're looking for will never be found in the abundance of money and possessions. But it can be in the possession of a single mind, an undivided heart fixated on Christ and his kingdom. Now, the reality is I know that for many of us in this room right now, it is a very difficult season financially. When I was talking about the fact that I'm just using our credit cards to provide for even our basic needs, your mind goes, that is me. I'm not using it to buy more stuff. I'm using it to provide food. Now, I could stand here and do my best to encourage you, but what I'd rather do is allow Jesus to be the encourager this morning. And so what I want to do is I actually want to invite everybody to stand to your feet. You know, one of the things that we do in the church is that we will put together a message. We'll typically read a number of verses. We'll do our best to exegete those and to, you know, put together a message for you. But it is important to remind ourselves that the scriptures were not really intended to be read in little pockets. See, the verses that follow are deeply connected to what Jesus was saying here on the Sermon on the Mount. So what I want to do is I just want to read the rest of the chapter to you. Now, if you have your Bibles, you can have Matthew 6 open. You can read along. If you don't, that's good. Just close your eyes and allow me to read the words of Jesus, and may they encourage and bless you this morning. Therefore, I tell you to do not worry about your life or what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? And why do you worry about your clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass in the field, which is here today and gone tomorrow and thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You know, verse 33 says, but seek first his kingdom. And I just cannot help but allow my mind to run down this idea of what would happen if the church sought first his kingdom. I think what would happen is often what we see when we read the book of Acts. When we read the early church, that was a group of people who were so filled with the Holy Spirit, so captivated by seeking first the kingdom of God that they had a very similar posture as Jesus, right? The money came into his ministry and he just said, here, Judas, you take it, even though I know you're going to do whatever you want with it. Because it wasn't something that gripped them like it's gripped us. It was a resource that, yes, could provide for need and provide for some want and and partner all, but the reality was they saw greater what it could do for the kingdom. 
See, if we're talking about wanting to be the types of people who are living out a different alternative to the world around us, be generous with your money. I would just encourage you, as you develop relationships within this family, do not be afraid to begin to be honest about where you're at because you never know how God might want to use someone within the context of our church family to bless you financially. See, that's partnering with God. And that displays to the world a very different picture than I think oftentimes they assume. And that's the call of the church. So what I wanna do is I want us just to stand and I want us to reflect. The team is gonna lead us in this song. Let it be sung over you, engage with it when you feel led, but maybe just ask the Lord, what is it that you want to say to me today? Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to partner with us in sharing Jesus and helping people experience life change, you can support our mission by clicking the link in the description. If this message has impacted you, please subscribe and share. To learn more, visit wearecalvary.com. We'll see you back next week.